And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's a detective adventure of Boston Blackie starring Dick Kalmar, then Eve Arden stars in her signature role of Connie Brooks, 10th grade English teacher at Madison High on Our Miss Brooks. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. How are you? All right. I'm doing well. Good. I'd like to do a little stargazing okay. here. We haven't done that in a little while. Let's do it. I want to tell you about a hot new TV show that premiered January 21st of 2016 called Baskets. Have you heard about that TV yes, series? Yes, yes. I have not seen it, but it's Zach Galifianakis starring Ooh, in that, right? you said that right. Not it's bad. It's on FX. I've right. watched the first four episodes, and right. I'm hooked. You're hooked. I'm hooked. It's Line really- and sinker. I'm hooked, line and sinkered. Right. So it stars Zach Galifianakis, and he plays twin brothers... Chip and Dale Baskets. <laughs> Chip and Dale they, they, Baskets. No, they are completely different characters. Right. Um, it was co-created by Louis C.K. I'm a really big fan of Louis C.K. and his show. I used to watch it religiously. And Zach Galifianakis. I'd just like to say that name again. Um, so Chip Baskets is this failed professional clown in Paris. And he gets a job as a clown in a rodeo in Bakersfield, California. And it's billed as a comedy. It's a very sad comedy. <laughs> it's a very sweet, sad comedy. It was just renewed for a second season. It's gotten great reviews, and it ranks as the most watched basic cable primetime comedy series premiere since 2014. You've got to check it out. Okay, so it's on FX, which I love what FX does. They yes, do some amazing they do some things. great stuff. You'll have to check out the timing in your own city. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but check it out, record it, set it up, do what you need to do, baskets. All right, with Zach Galifianakis. As Chip and Dale baskets. All right, we will check that out for sure. And something you should check out right now is Boston Blackie. It was created by Jack Boyle. The fictional character of Boston Blackie was a young, handsome, well-educated gentleman who loved his fellow man, but was also a hardened criminal and safecracker who served time in a California prison. Rehabilitated, he decided to use his knowledge of the underworld to fight crime as an amateur detective, known as an enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend, Blackie's ex exploits were successfully adapted to films, radio, and television. NBC brought the character to radio as a summer replacement for their Rinso-sponsored and mega-popular Amos and Andy series in 1944, with Chester Morris reprising his film role. In 1945, Broadway actor Richard Kalmar took over the radio role with Maurice Tarplin as Inspector Faraday and Leslie Woods as Blackie's girlfriend Mary Wesley. Kalmar brought just 
just the right amount of sarcastic wit and charm to the character, starring in more than 200 radio episodes produced between 1945 and 1950. And we have one of those episodes for you now from June 11, 1946. It's called The Disappearing Plane. Here's Dick Kalmar in Boston Blackie. Yeah? Boston, calling Inspector Faraday. I'm Inspector Faraday. One moment, please. Here's your party. Go ahead, Boston. Hello, Faraday. This is Blackie. Blackie? What are you doing out of town? You don't know? I can guess. You talked me into holding John Barnes in the Bradley killing for me to make an arrest. Then you beat it out of town because you knew I didn't have enough evidence to hold him. My, you're ungrateful, Inspector. I found out Barnes had a motive to kill Bradley, didn't I? Yeah. I proved Barnes had an opportunity to kill Bradley, didn't I? Yeah. I also found a witness who did a pretty good job of placing Barnes at the scene of Bradley's death, too, didn't I? Yes, but you didn't clinch the case against him. Didn't I? No. What I need is proof that Bradley was killed with Barnes's gun. I don't have Barnes's gun. Well, you do now, Faraday, because everything that's mine is yours, pal. You, you've got the murder gun? How'd you get it, Blackie? Where? Up here in Boston. But do you really want to know how I had to be sort of a bad boy to get it? Uh, forget I asked. It's forgotten. In a few hours, Faraday, you'll have the murder gun in your own little hands. And then you can give it to Barnes right in his neck. Uh, Blackie, uh, be careful, will you? Why? Barnes's pals aren't the friendly type. They not only want to get that gun, they're going to want to get you. I'll take it. Thank you. Go ahead, New York. Here's your party. Gus. Yeah. This is Johnny. Johnny Barnes. Oh, yeah, Johnny. Uh, just checking. You went to Boston to get rid of that gun of mine. Did you do it? Yeah, I got rid of it the hard way. It was stolen about an hour ago. I was going to call you. Stolen? Who stole it? Guess who? Boston Blackie. Yeah. I figured on trouble from him when I heard he followed me here to Boston. By the time I got back to the hotel, he'd already swiped the gun. Where's Blackie now? At his hotel. I got Joe trailing him. That was his last report. Well, get up there and get back that gun. I can't, Johnny. It's too late. Look, you want me to go to the chair? Of course not. Well, I will if you don't find that gun. The cops know I hit it, Bradley. They know plenty more, too, but they need that gun to prove I knocked him off. I know. Then get it back from Blackie. It's registered in my name and ballistics will prove it was the gun that killed Bradley. If the cops get that gun, I'm finished. What am I to do, Johnny? Blackie sent the gun to Faraday. Air mail. What? Joe was watching him. He couldn't do anything about it. Too many people around. Oh. It's, uh, it's in the mail to Faraday now, huh? Yep. Gus. Gus, I got an idea. And you're just the guy who can make it work. <laughs> Say, Miss Wesley, what time did that wire say Blackie's plane was getting in? Three o'clock, Shorty. Gee, three o'clock, huh? Gosh, we're a little late getting there, ain't we? Yes, a little. I wish we'd started earlier. I'd like to have seen his plane come in. Yeah, me too. But not because I think planes is pretty. Oh? Well, then why, Shorty? Well, didn't Blackie's telegram say he got the gun Johnny Barnes used to kill that Bradley guy? Oh, no, no. He told me that on the phone. Well, Blackie's going to need protection from the minute he gets off that plane. I know a couple of the Barnes mob, and they ain't forgiven characters. 
But they're going to be awful sore at Blackie when Barnes gets sent to the chair. Yes, I'm afraid you're right. When Inspector Faraday gets Barnes' gun, Barnes is as good as convicted, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, here's the airport. Yeah. Where do we park? Well, let's see. Uh, why don't you drive right up to the administration building? We're late, and Blackie's probably waiting for us inside. Okay. Hey, how about here? That's fine. Want to come in with me? Yeah, sure. I'll get out on your side. All right. Uh, I think we can go in that door there. Okay. Hey, wait. Wait, I'll open the door for you. Thank you. Be at gate six. All aboard. Oh, big joint this is. Yes, it is, isn't it? I don't see Blackie anywhere, though, do you? No, no, I don't. Well, maybe his plane's late. Let's ask at the information desk. Okay. Flight 31 for Washington, Cincinnati, and Chicago, leaving at gate 6. All aboard. Well, it's the information desk, Miss Wesley. Oh, yes. Uh, pardon me, but could I have some information? Uh, yes, ma'am. Has the plane from Boston arrived yet? Flight 68. Oh, oh, excuse me. Yes, of course. Flight no, ma'am. Flight 68 is late, but we expect it soon. Gate 3. Thank you. You're welcome. Gee, Miss Wesley, shall we go out to Gate 3 and watch it come in? No, Shorty. You can see if we'll wait here and watch through that big window there. Oh, yeah. Hey! Look at that big four-motor job taking off out there. Yes, I see it. But I'm more interested in seeing Blackie's plane come in. Hey, Miss Wesley, you ain't worried because Blackie's plane is late, are you? I don't know, Shorty. I... I... It's just that I have a funny feeling. Oh, Miss Wesley, planes have been late before. Why, sometimes maybe an hour late. They have a flat tire or they get stuck on a sticky cloud Look, or Shorty, something. Inspector Faraday's just come in. I don't know, but he sees us. Gosh, you don't think maybe something's gone wrong, huh? Well, I don't know. Wesley. Hello, Shorty. Hello, Inspector. What are you uh, What are you here for? What do you think I'm here for? To meet a train? Well, you're here to meet Blackie too, Inspector Faraday? Yeah. How'd you know? Oh, I'm just smart, I guess. You smart? Bad guess. Isn't Blackie's plane in yet? No, Inspector, it's late. I might have known. Blackie's probably telling the pilot how to fly. What plane's Blackie on? Flight 68. Flight 68, huh? Now, it'll be just like Blackie to keep that plane up, so I'll have to wait for hours. <coughs> While I'm waiting. Come in, Flight 68. Tom, any word from Flight 68? Not a peep for the last five hours, Harry. Not a peep, huh? Doesn't seem possible. Four hours overdue on a flight of an hour and ten minutes. Have you kept checking? Every five minutes. I'll try again, Tom. Okay. New York calling Cross Nation Airways Flight 68. New York calling Cross Nation Airways Flight 68. Flight 68, come in. Flight 68, come in. Come in. Hold it, Tom. Anything? Nothing. When did you last hear? Ten minutes out of Boston. Pilot radioed an okay. Said he was on the beam. And not a word since? Not a word. Well, we got a lost plane then, Tom. He's out of gas and down somewhere by now. But uh, keep trying to make contact. We may... Any word from Flight 68 yet? Say, nobody's allowed in the control tower, and that means you, too. I'm Inspector Faraday, police. Oh, sorry, Inspector. Skip it. Any word from Flight 68? No, she's four hours overdue, and that means she's down somewhere out of gas. Or maybe worse. Yeah, I think so, too. Except we haven't had a report of any crash. You mean the plane's just disappeared? So far, it has. Look, let me see that passenger list. There's something crazy about this. Yeah, the passenger list is the craziest thing about the whole flight, Inspector. What do you mean? Well, flight 68 is a 21-passenger ship. 20 reservations were canceled at the last minute. Huh? That's right. 
So the plane left Boston with only one passenger. One passenger? Who? A man by the name of Boston Blackie. Gosh, Miss Wesley, why don't they put cushions on the seats in this place? Claudia, come back to Faraday. Maybe he has word about Blackie's plane. Gee, he looks awful sick, Miss Wesley. Yes, he does, doesn't he? What is it, Inspector? I'm afraid I got bad news for you, Miss Wesley. Oh. Looks as if Flight 68 has had an accident. Oh, no, Gee. no, I... I... Blackie was on it, Miss Wesley. Oh. The only passenger. Here, here Miss Wesley. Maybe, maybe you better Wesley, sit down, huh? No, no, Ms. it's all right. Did I hear my name? Uh, yeah, phone call, Miss Wesley. Wesley. You want me to take uh, No, 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 I'll get it myself. Uh, the information desk is right over here. I'll, I'll get it. Oh, we'll go with you, Miss Wesley. Yeah, sure. Oh, all right, maybe you better. Here, here we are. Uh, this is Miss Wesley. Uh, she'll take that call. Oh, yes, right here, ma'am. Thank you. Hello? Hello, Mary? Blackie! Blackie? Black- oh, Blackie, where are you? In my apartment. You obviously didn't get my second wire. Oh, no, no, darling, I didn't. My plane reservation was canceled, no flight, so I wired you and took the train. You took the train, but but Inspector Faraday was told you were on that plane. Faraday, is he there? Yes, yes, he's right here. Let me talk to him. All right. Here, Inspector, he wants to talk to you. Thanks. Oh, Shorty's all right. Blackie, what's the idea? I, I thought you were dead. Well, that's about as accurately as you usually think, Faraday. Well, what else could I think? That plane you were going to take has disappeared. You're listed as a passenger, the only passenger. Well, that's crazy, Faraday. The airline told me the plane wasn't even going to fly. Well, it did fly. And carrying one passenger who called himself Boston Blackie, it vanished into thin air. You meet me in my office, Blackie. I got a hunch you can explain this. And I think you'd better. John Barnes kills a man named Bradley and gives the gun to a friend, Gus Johnson, to get rid of in Boston. Blackie trails Johnson to Boston, steals the gun from him, and mails it to Inspector Faraday, thereby sealing Barnes' fate as a killer and wires Mary Wesley that he is en route by plane. But the plane, supposedly carrying Blackie, disappears into thin air. Actually, Blackie has come back to the city by train, and as we return to our story, he is in Faraday's office trying to solve the mystery of the missing plane. A plane just doesn't disappear, Faraday. Apparently, you've been reading too many spook stories, mm. and I haven't. So getting me down here was just a waste of time. All right, Blanky. If that plane hasn't disappeared, you tell me where it is. It's down somewhere, forced landing with a radio dead, or maybe it crashed. No good. They told me at the airport if the plane was down or crashed, they'd have a report almost immediately. They don't have a report yet, and the plane is now eight hours overdue. Uh, let me see now. I got a call from the airline in Boston about an hour before plane time. The man said my flight was canceled. They'd send for my ticket right away and give me another one later. Uh Uh-huh. So a bellboy came up for my ticket, and I gave it to him. Then, instead of waiting for the next plane, I took the train. What does that explain? It explains why I wasn't on the plane. I have a hunch that I was called not by the airline, but by Johnny Barnes' pal, Gus Johnson. And he took that plane in my place. Why? I think this is why... He saw me send the gun to you, airmail. Then he found out a package mailed at that time would leave Boston on Flight 68. Uh-huh. He had to get that gun out of the mail. But that was impossible, so he did the next best thing. He stole the plane. He stole the plane? Sure. Because when he stole the plane, he also stole the gun. I'm sure that's what happened. Well, maybe so. But does that explain why the 20 other passengers on Flight 68 canceled their reservations at the last minute? Sure it does. 
It was decided for them the same way it was decided for me. Faraday, the whole thing is beginning to make sense now. Yeah, but it's only theory. Get on the phone to Boston, and I think you'll find out it's all fact. Well, I intend to. But I'm not as interested in that missing plane as I am in that missing gun. How can I convict Barnes without it? You can't, Faraday. You know it, I know it, and Barnes knows it. Well, that makes three of us all in agreement. Aren't we clever? I don't know. I'm going to see Barnes now and find out if he's as clever as he thinks he is. How nice of you to call on me, Blackie. You've uh, come to console me in my trouble, of course. Oh, I don't think you need consolation from me, Barnes. Aren't your, uh, your close friends doing plenty of weeping and wailing? Not exactly. Look, Barnes, your pal Gus Johnson told you I sent the gun to Faraday by airmail, didn't he? Did he? I think he did. And I think you found out the gun was being sent on Flight 68 out of Boston. So you saw to it that Flight 68 never reached New York. Oh, say, I, I just heard on the radio about that unfortunate plane. Fantastic, isn't it? It hasn't crashed, it hasn't made a forced landing, and it hasn't been heard of. Just vanished. Strange, isn't it? I don't think it's strange at all. I think you stole that plane. You think... Uh... <laughs> That's more fantastic than the fact the plane is missing. <laughs> now, how could I steal an airplane? Why would I steal an airplane? To get rid of that pistol. It carried evidence that would send you to the electric chair. It was one way for you to steal back your gun. Oh, so you've lost the gun, huh, Blackie? Well, maybe you're the one that needs consoling. Please allow me to be the first to offer... Save it, Barnes. When they start giving out consolation prizes, I think you'll get them all. Hello? Blackie, this is Shorty. Yes, Shorty. Gee, am I glad you finally lighted Miss Wesley's apartment. I've been calling you all over town. What's the matter, Shorty? I got some news for you. What is it? Gus Johnson's in town. He's in the hospital with a broken leg. You sure? Yeah. His girlfriend, Blondie White, just told me all about it. A broken leg, huh? Yep. How'd he break it? I don't know, Blackie. Even Miss White didn't know that. Thanks, Shorty. I think I'll go see him. Uh, but tell me, do you know anything about Gus? Anything I ought to know to make him start talking? No, Blackie, I don't. He hasn't been with Barnes very long, though. Oh, a new member of the gang, huh? Uh-huh. Well, what did he do before he joined Barnes? Oh, a little bit of everything, I guess. Blondie White told me he did a lot of crazy things. What, for instance? Well, he was an auto racer, a circus daredevil, a stunt pilot, a seaman, steeplejack. And that's enough, Shorty. That's more than enough. <laughs> You don't mind coming to the hospital with me, do you, Mary? Are you kidding, Blackie? I'm a nurse, remember? But I'm not a patient. Don't forget that. Oh. Oh, nurse. Yes? <laughs> I mean the nurse behind that oh, desk. Oh, you. Oh, nurse. Yes? We'd like to see Gus Johnson. Is it as loud? Oh, oh, yes. And Mr. Johnson is resting quite comfortably. He hasn't had a visitor since 3 o'clock. It's 4 now. I, I suppose you can go right in. Thanks. Uh, which room is he in? Oh, that one right there, 7-Eleven. Thank you. Come on, Mary. I'm right with you. 
Here's Johnson's room. Yes, 7-11. Sure is a lucky number. Too bad he didn't have it before his leg was broken. Yeah. <laughs> What's the matter? Doesn't he answer? No. Darling, maybe he's asleep. He might be. But it'll be all right if we go in. Or the nurse wouldn't have said so. Come on. Oh, yes, he's sleeping all right. See him just like a baby. That baby has a record of 11 arrests and three convictions. Oh. Well, let's wake him up. Hey, Johnson. Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson. Johnson, wait. Lucky, isn't he going to wake up? No, Mary. Not now or ever. He's got a knife in his heart. Get the nurse quick. Oh, yes, yes, all right. Uh, nurse. Nurse. Can you come here and... What's the matter? It's your patient, Mr. Johnson. What's the matter with him? Uh, Nothing except that he has a knife in his heart. But but how how did that... You said Mr. Johnson had a visitor about an hour ago. Who was that? I I don't know. I didn't pay much attention. But uh, please, I've got to call a doctor and get the police. In just a minute. Uh, Was the visitor a man? Uh, Yes, but I I can't remember what he looked like. Look, Mr. Johnson wasn't a sick man. He could have all the visitors he wanted. I I just didn't pay any attention to anyone who came to see him. Well, did anyone else come to see him? Yes, a girl this morning. What'd she look like? Well, she was blonde. That's all I remember, just blonde. Uh, that must have been his girlfriend, Blondie White. How'd you know about her, Blackie? Shorty told me about her this morning. She told him she'd been here. Uh, thanks, nurse. You can call the police now. Come on, Mary. Sure thing. Uh, wait, wait, aren't you going to stay? The, the police have got... Well, want to see me? Or just tell them the name was Blackie. They'll know where to find me. Where? At Blondie White's. She doesn't know it yet, but she's got something awfully important to tell me. <laughs> hope you don't mind my coming to see you so soon after Gus's death, Miss White. No, Blackie, why should I mind? Well, maybe you'll have reason to when you find out why I'm here. I didn't kill Gus, if that's what you're leading up to. No, I don't think you did. But I think you know who did. I don't know a thing. Now, look, you saw Gus this morning. He probably told you a lot of things, maybe even who was coming to see him later in the day. You look, Blackie. Gus is dead, and that's trouble enough for me for one day. I'm not going to shoot my mouth off and get a dose of the same thing Gus got. But you do know who came to see Gus this afternoon. I said I wasn't talking. You don't have to be afraid of me, Miss White. I'm not scared of you. You didn't kill Gus. You're afraid of the man who did. Look, when you know something that isn't healthy to talk about, you don't talk about it. I understand that. But do you know what you're doing by keeping quiet? You're protecting the man who killed Gus. No, I'm not. I'm just protecting myself. Well, I'll fix it so you won't need protection. Will you talk then? I don't know. Look, I'll make a bargain with you. If I promise to send Johnny Barnes to the chair for killing Bradley, will you tell me who killed Gus? Sure. Thanks, Miss White. What? Thanks a lot. Thanks for what? In the one word, sure, you told me who killed Gus. It was Barnes. You don't know that. Oh, yes, I do, Miss White. You promised to tell me who killed Gus if I sent Barnes to the chair for killing Bradley. That means he couldn't scare you anymore. Stick by me, and I'll get him for sticking a knife into your boyfriend, too. All right, let's take a break from Boston. Blackie will have more after this.
More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. All right, let's get back now to Dick Kalmar as Boston Blackie. Look, Barnes, you're in a police station, not a laugh movie. So take that smirk off your face. <laughs> I'm sorry, Inspector Faraday, but I can't help it. You and Blackie are both wasting your time keeping me here. Well, let's worry about that, Barnes. Well, sure, Blackie. I'm not worried about anything. I've just been too smart for you. Yeah, you've been smart, Barnes. But not smart enough. I know exactly what happened to that missing plane now and why it had only one passenger on it. Now, aren't you clever, Inspector? No, I'm not clever. Just thorough. You know how Barnes got rid of the other passengers on the missing plane, Faraday? Sure, I do. It was just as you said, Blanky. He had his pal Gus Johnson go to the airlines, dressed as a policeman, and get a passenger list. Then Johnson and his pal Joe called up all the passengers, pretended to be airline ticket agents, and canceled their reservations. Which is what they did to me, too. Only Gus Johnson used my reservation. Sure, Johnson used it. He used it so he could get rid of that plane. Uh, this is all very interesting, gentlemen, but none of it concerns me. No? Now, we'll why see. should I want to steal a plane? Why should I have Johnson go to all the trouble of canceling 20 plane reservations? Well, that's easy, Barnes. You didn't want Johnson to go to the trouble of having to kill 20 passengers. The three members of the crew were trouble enough. Well, if it was trouble, it was Johnson's trouble, not mine. I just don't see any connection between the missing plane and me. Well, I do. Your pal Johnson knew Blackie had mailed that murder gun to me. A gun which would prove you killed Bradley. A gun which would send you to the chair. Oh, really? Uh, what uh, happened to that gun, Blackie? You don't know what happened to it, Barnes. It went down where that plane Johnson stole. Oh, did it? What a shame. Well, I guess you don't want me for anything more, do you? I want plenty with you, Barnes. I know you killed Bradley. I know you engineered the theft of that plane and the murder of its crew. I know you killed Gus Johnson. Then why don't you arrest me? Because I want to do more than that. I want to send you to the chair. And I need the murder gun to do it. If it's your gun, then I've got you. Yes, but before you get me, you'll have to get that gun. Uh Gentlemen, I think I'll be going. Just a minute, Barnes. Faraday, you'll be able to convict Barnes if you have his gun? Sure I can, you know that. How can I get it now? What's uh, this gun look like, Faraday? It looks like a gun. What should it look like? Your gun, probably. Because I just took it out of my pocket? Oh, no. It's Barnes' gun. The gun I stole from Gus Johnson. And I figured the best place to keep it was with me. That's... That's my gun? No, no, you put my gun in the mail. Oh, no, I put my gun in the mail. I knew I was being shadowed, so I wrapped up my gun, sealed, and mailed it for his benefit. I figured it was a way to take him off my trail. I didn't know Barnes here would try to get it even after it was in the mail. Give me that gun. Let me see it. Yeah. It's Barnes' gun, all right. And I think ballistics tests will show it was the gun that killed Bradley. Blackie, one of these days... Sit where you are, Barnes. Get used to sitting in a chair. Only the next one isn't going to be so comfortable. driving, Blackie? Out in the country to see Blondie White. You mind? No, I should say not. She helped you solve a murder case. She did more than help me, Mary. She was all the proof I needed that Barnes killed Gus Johnson. She kept a promise to tell me who killed Gus as soon as I proved Barnes killed Bradley. How did she know Barnes killed Gus? Gus told her Barnes was coming to see him at three o'clock. 
A medical examination showed Gus was killed at about that time, and he hadn't had any other afternoon visitors besides us. Oh, I know why Gus was killed. Because he knew too much. He not only knew too much, Mary, he did it all himself. Now, wait a minute. You mean he actually stole that plane? Yes. He took my place on the plane. Then when the ship was in the air, he killed the hostess. Then he went to the cockpit and killed the pilot and co-pilot. And bailed out before the ship crashed? Oh, that was how he broke his leg, huh? Golly, what a chance he took. No, he didn't take any chance at all, Mary. I found out from Shorty, Gus had once been a stunt flyer. After he killed the crew, he took over the plane himself. And landed. I see. No, you're wrong again. He headed it out toward the ocean. Just inside of the coast, he set the plane on automatic pilot, and then he bailed out. For goodness sake. And now that plane is somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. Yes, Mary. And even though something very clever went on up in the air, we figured it because we kept our feet on the ground. And that's Boston Blackie from June 11, 1946, with a disappearing plane starring Dick Kalmar as Boston Blackie, with Maurice Tarplin as Inspector Faraday, and Leslie Woods as Blackie's girlfriend Mary Wesley, as heard on ABC. All right, Lisa, that's Boston Blackie. That's my favorite detective. I was just going to mention that. That is Carl's special favorite detective You know show, that, right? So I, mean, I, I do. You know what it goes back to? Seriously, when I was first collecting classic radio shows when I was a little kid, collecting them on eight-track tapes. 11, tape, 12 years old. Like 12. Yeah. Eight-track tapes and albums and things. There was a company that was putting out some classic radio shows and on, on a cassette, and one, cas- one side of the cassette had a Lights Out episode, and the other side of the cassette had Boston Blackie. And I had never heard of Boston Blackie, but I wanted the Lights Out because it was scary. I wanted that Lights Out episode. And so I was like, gosh, I can't afford this. It was like $3 or something like right. that. And I didn't have the money, but I just thought, I really want that Lights Out. So I purchased it. Well, I get the show, and, and I love the Lights Out. And I thought, well, I'll listen to this thing. And I that was, was like, whoa, Boston Blackie. And to this day, it's my favorite detective show. See, and now you can present that for all the listeners who can appreciate it. It's a nice full circle. You know, it's all about being exposed to these shows. And that's what we do here with Hollywood 360. We expose people to different episodes, and then they pick their favorites and, uh, you know, gravitate, gravitate towards them. And it's amazing how everybody seems to like different things. So yeah. we do try to present a variety for sure. Another one that's really popular is Our Miss Brooks. Yep. It was a situation comedy show heard on radio and seen on television. And films. It starred Hollywood film and New York stage veteran Eve Arden. She played Connie Brooks, English teacher at fictional Madison High School, a smart and sharp witted but ever likable character. And unlike most of her film roles, radio offered her the lead. Beginning in radio in 1948, Our Miss Brooks was successfully transferred to television beginning in 1952. And we have a radio episode for you now, going back to October 31st, 1948. It's called Driving to the Football Game. It stars Evard now in part one of Our Miss Brooks. Amalite Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous green girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High, but one of her favorite subjects at school is biology. Or to be completely honest about it, biology teacher Philip Boynton. He's tall, dark, handsome, and... Painfully timid. <laughs> but Connie Brooks is still hopeful. In her own words, 
I'm still hopeful that he'll look up from his experiments one day and decide that I compare favorably with some of his higher-type frogs. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I feel that if I could just be alone with him a few hours, he wouldn't mind my not being wart green. (laughs) It looked like last Saturday was going to be the day. I was thinking about my plans when my landlady, Mrs. Margaret Davis, obeyed my instructions to wake me at 8.30. Connie, it's 8.30. Oh, come in, Mrs. Davis. Good morning, Connie. How did you sleep? Pretty well, Mrs. Davis. How about you? Well, I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you ask, my insomnia has got me a little worried. You see, for the past three nights, I've gone to bed at 9.30 and slept right through the night. (laughs) Well, what's wrong with that? I missed the sleeping pill I'm supposed to take at 10. (laughs) But I guess I'll be all right. Tell me, Connie... Why did you leave me a note to wake you? What happened to your alarm clock? Oh, it met with an accident yesterday morning. What kind of an accident? I threw it in the bathtub and stamped on it. (laughs) Thanks for getting me up, though. I've got to be down at Carney's repair shop at ten. That's when they promised my car would be ready. Goodness, it's about time. How long has your car been in that repair shop, Connie? Off and on, about twelve weeks. (laughs) How long have you had your car? Off and on, about twelve weeks. I hope it holds together today. I'm driving Mr. Boynton to the football game with Clay City High. Madison didn't play them last year, did it? No, this is the first time. They say Clay City's an awfully nice little town. It's about 60 miles from here, I understand. Fifty-five as the crow flies. You ought to make it in a couple of hours easy. Well, I'd better allow three. My car makes about the same time a crow does on the ground. (laughs) Well, hurry and get dressed, Connie. I've got a surprise recipe for your breakfast. I hope it's not as surprising as the last one, Mrs. Davis. Blubber burgers fried in deep seal fat. Uh, don't you, uh, I'm afraid I haven't time for breakfast today. I'll just have a glass of milk. Hmm? Well, uh, don't you even want to know what the surprise consists of? Oh, no, thank you. Well, I'll save it for you till tomorrow. It'll keep fine. Although a little penicillin may form on the mold. <laughs> Probably do it a world of good. Well, I have to be running along now, Mrs. Davis. I've got to get my car, pick up Mr. Boynton, and then it's off to Clay City. Just think, we'll be alone together for 55 whole miles. Oh, wonderful, Connie. I hope Madison runs up a big score. Me too, but I'm more concerned about scoring with Mr. Boynton. <laughs> I just want to finish this fender here. That finished it. Uh, is my car ready, Joe? Your car? Mm-hmm. Let's see. What did you bring it in for last? One of the headlights needed a new bulb. Oh, yes, yes. Step into the office here a minute, will you? I'll get the sheet on that car. Have a seat, Miss Brooks. Thank you. Should be right here in the desk. Was that a Nash, Miss Brooks? 1935 convertible? Yes, a late 35. <laughs> Though it wasn't a convertible until I tried to go through a railroad crossing with the bars down. Oh, yes, yes, here we are. You say one of the headlights needed a new bulb? That's what you told me. Funny, our mechanic found quite a bit of other work to do on the car. What other work? Well, your spark plugs were shot, so he replaced them, and the points were practically gone. Where to? Your valves needed grinding, and the wheels were way out of line. Of course, that could have been caused by the warped axle. Practically no barbarian action left in this brockets at all. And your transmission and differential had to be thoroughly revamped. 
How did I get the car down here? On my back? <laughs> the steering knuckle was way off, so he had to pack that. But that wasn't too much trouble. I'm glad. He was down there ripping off the old brake lining anyway. <laughs> the new voltage regulator we put in should help that shorten the wiring considerably. And a new oil filter will keep your motor cleaner. Now, just a minute, Joe. You didn't say a word to me about any of those things when I left the car here. Well, of course not, Miss Brooks. I had no way of knowing about them until our mechanic checked the car thoroughly. Any more than I could have told you about the clutch lining. What about the clutch lining? Let's not speak ill of the dead. <laughs> it was shredded. And that probably affected the rear end situation. Rear end? It was really dragging. <laughs> now, uh, now, do you want me to total up your bill with the new radiator that's coming or just charge it for the soldering job temporarily? Like I say, Joe, what do I owe you for the light bulb? <laughs> oh, we'll just throw that in. And uh, please don't feel that we invented any of these difficulties, Miss Brooks. Every item on your bill was strictly legitimate. May I never smear grease on my hands and charge for a lube job if it wasn't. I've got a good mind to get the Falcon after you. What's the total? Well, uh, let me see. Uh, 1450 plus uh, 798. 46 for parts, uh, 18 for the $9 for the distributor of the crowns. Well, it's uh, $112.49, Miss Brooks. Call it $113 even. We'll call it $112 even, and I'll have to pay you off by the week, Joe. Oh, that's perfectly all right. Say $10 a week, 20 weeks. 20 weeks? That would be $200. Carrying charges, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Plus lawyer's fees. Lawyer's fees? Well, sure, you're a school teacher, aren't you? Yes. Well, you couldn't keep paying $10 a week out of your salary. A lawsuit's inevitable. <laughs> well, if I can't make the payments, I'll sell you the car. Are you kidding? With the repair work this heap needs, I wouldn't give you a hundred bucks for it. Look, I've got to have the car today, Joe. I'm driving Mr. Boynton to Clay City to see our football team play. Now, what would it cost me if you put back the shredded clutch lining and the gone points, hmm? Well, never mind. <laughs> never mind that, Miss Brooks. How much cash have you got on you? Well, I got paid yesterday and just took care of my rent and a few small bills, so I've still got about $19. We'll take it. I believe in one price. You say $19, I say $19. Hand it over. Here you are. And Mother will be happy to know you let me keep my locket. <laughs> on to Mr. Boynton. Well, I finally got to Mr. Boynton's apartment house to take him to the football game. He was standing in front of the door holding a big box with a cellophane top, the kind you put an orchid corsage into. I said, Mr. Boynton, you shouldn't have bought me flowers. His answer was typical of the man. With a modest smile, he hung his head, blushed, and said, I didn't. <laughs> oh. Well, then what's in that box? MacDougall. He's a wee one, isn't he? Uh, MacDougall's a bullfrog, Miss Brooks. I took him home from the laboratory yesterday. I don't like the sound of his voice. It's kind of raspy. Maybe he's got a man in his throat. <laughs> Are you taking him with us to the football game? Oh, I'm afraid I'll have to. You see, his neck's pretty sore, and I put a compress on it. Wouldn't want him to scratch it off. He, oh, he should have had his tonsils out long ago. Maybe his folks couldn't afford it. 
Well, get in, Mr. Boynton, and put McDougal in the back. Oh, I'd rather not, Miss Brooks. Let's keep him up here in front between us. Goody. I've always wanted to go to a football game with a bullfrog. (laughs) Well, are you all set, Mr. Boynton? All set, Miss Brooks. Then we're off to Clay City. It's a beautiful day for football, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. You like football, Mr. Boynton? Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I, uh, I haven't seen many games. Oh, that's a shame. We teachers should set an example in school spirit for the student body. That's why I'm going today. That's one reason, anyway. I beg your pardon? I said I think we should show more interest in school events. Oh, I agree, Miss Brooks. Who's pitching for us today? <laughs> Well, we tried to get Satchel Page, but he's tied up. <laughs> of course, we have some good backfield men pitching passes. That's what you meant, isn't it? Oh, I guess so. I'm afraid you'll have to explain quite a bit of the rules, Miss Brooks. Oh, you'll get on to it, Mr. Boynton. Meanwhile, we've got 55 miles to travel together. Just you and I. <laughs> I was hoping you'd feel that way about it. <laughs> That was McDougal. Now, now, quiet, Mac. I want you to rest your throat. Yes, do that, Mac. Now, where was I? Uh, you were saying we've got 55 miles to drive together. That's right. Just the three of us. A man, a girl, a bullfrog. Uh-huh. Uh, well, we'll have fun anyway. I know a wonderful little restaurant en route where we can stop for lunch. It's called the Blue Goose Cafe. Oh, fine. Uh, look, Miss Brooks, uh, isn't that one of our students pushing that car across the street? Oh, yes, that's Walter Denton. Maybe we can give him a hand. Hello, Walter. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. How do, Mr. Boynton? Oh, hello, Walter. Something wrong with your car? Oh, nothing unusual. It just won't go. (laughs) I think my clutch lining is gone. Oh, well, take a little of mine, Walter. I've got a new badge. (laughs) Gee, of all times to fizzle out on me. I had my heart set on going to the Clay City football game today. Why don't you come along with us? What do you say, Miss Brooks? With us? Well, I'm sure Walter would rather get there under his own power. Maybe we ought to try and get his car started. Hmm? Oh, it's no use, Miss Brooks. It won't go. I know this car like the back of my hand. And the back of my hand to you. <laughs> well, it isn't that you're not welcome to come with us, Walter. I know. Why don't we tow you in your car? Tow me. Well, I don't understand the point of that, Miss Brooks. You wouldn't. <laughs> I haven't got any tow rope anyway, Miss Brooks. Well, maybe we could push you in your car. You know, bumper to bumper and shove. Then we got when we got to a nice downgrade. Whee! Bye, <laughs> <Right on> Walter. <laughs> oh, you're kidding me, Miss Brooks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll sit in the back here. You and Mr. Boynton won't even know we're in the car. All right, Walter, hop in. I wouldn't want you to miss the game. Well, here goes, off to Clay. Did you say we're in the car? Sure, I've got a date with Harriet Conklin. She's a real football bug. Bug? (laughs) Don't get excited, Mac. It's just an expression. She'll be waiting in front of her house, Miss Brooks. It's just a mile or two out of your way. Naturally. But we'd better hurry if we want to have some lunch before the game. Hang on. Uh, Turn right at this corner, Miss Brooks. You better slow down for it. Look out for that milk wagon. Boy, that was close. Oh, are you still in the car, Walter? (laughs) 
I mean, I hope I didn't unnerve you. Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. I'm used to driving with woman drivers. My mother's one, you know. <laughs> one what, Walter? It's only natural for drivers to make mistakes. But my mom has made some whoppers. That I can see. <laughs> And that's the first portion of Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a website for this radio show. It's Hollywood360radio.com. And at that website, there's all kinds of things, including a store where you can um, purchase on digital download or CD many, many classic radio shows. In fact, there's hundreds of episodes available to our listeners. There's also our schedule. We have pictures of Lisa. And we also have a podcast, right, Lisa? A podcast of this show. We post it uh, shortly after the show. That's right. You can hear all four hours of this radio show every week podcast on our website, Hollywood360radio.com. All right, in our next show, we're going to tune into the conclusion of our Miss Brooks. Then it's a terrific mystery on the mysterious traveler. So stick around.